Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Thank you for tuning in. ModPass Chat has so far reached audiences in 110 countries with over 24,000 downloads. So we are thrilled you are here today to help me welcome our distinguished guest, Dr. Rajal Shah. Rajal is a professor of pathology at UT Southwestern, and he's a leader in neurologic pathology. He is a prolific author with over 150 publications and two books uh, so far. During his tenure at University of Michigan, he played a critical role in the discovery of temperate earth fusion. Today, we will be discussing his team's latest publication in Modern Path on genomic and morphologic features of radioresistant prostate cancer. So welcome to ModPath Chat, Rajal. Thank you very much, George, for kind introduction. Very much appreciate this opportunity uh, to do a podcast uh, for Modern Pathology Journal. It's quite an honor Thank and uh, happy to discuss our findings. The honor is, uh, is ours. I still remember, Rajal, when uh, we were both junior faculty and talking about Tempest Erg, and you're giving us some cues on how to do the fish at Hopkins. Uh, so we go back a long time. Uh, and we didn't look exactly like this, for those of you who are seeing us on the YouTube channel. We looked a little bit younger. So let's let's get to the topic. What, what uh, drove you to do the study? So, George, uh, you are aware that uh, locally relapsed prostate cancer after radiation therapy is associated with significant morbidity and mortality. What causes prostate cancer to develop resistant to radiation therapy and recur specifically morphological and molecular consequences that may contribute to radiation therapy resistance and local recurrence are really poorly understood. So, in this study, we aim to and understand the phenotypic and genotypic diversity of radio recurrent prostate cancer, which can facilitate our understanding in the mechanisms of radio resistance, as well as uh, in designing uh, more optimal patient management. That's was our major objective for this particular study. Fair enough. And, and you do have uh, a very unique cohort. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second instead of design, but something like 53 patients who had radio resistance and needed what's called salvage radical prostatectomy after uh, being treated with that. Uh, and clearly, uh, that's, that's a huge strength to have uh, such a large cohort. So uh, tell us uh, a little bit about study design before we move on and talk about the findings. So I think, George, as you referred, the a salvage radical prostatectomy is a pretty unique and somewhat rare patient cohort because local recurrence often is not detected after radiation therapy and there is always a risk of surgical complications because of prior radiation. So a lot of institutions don't offer these type of treatment modalities. But we had 53 patients who were treated with primary radiation who failed and then subsequently underwent salvage radical prostatectomy. So we analyze tumor focality, clinicopathological features, and genomic characteristics from this radio recurrent prostate tissue from salvage radical prostatectomies. 
and that is our kind of primary uh, study design and just uh, to touch a little bit on the molecular uh, some uh, some serious gene panel right like uh, on on a subset of them and you did paired uh, tumors and uh, yes and so can you talk a little bit about that yeah so we did both dna and rna sequencing using a targeted 1425 gene panel which wow. is a pretty broad coverage for uh, genomic associations and we selected 10 most representative samples which were enriching a specific pathologies that I will be discussing today with you. Uh, and uh, then uh, we did the tumor mutational border, copy number alterations, and then uh, RNA sequencing, DNA sequencing for these samples of, uh, and all of them had match uh, normal tissue to study potential germline alterations. Excellent. So uh, it couldn't get any better. Uh, over 1400 uh, gene panel and you have match uh, benign for the germline. So this is as elegant as it gets. So uh, uh, looking at, uh, let's start with the simple stuff with the clinical pathologic uh, and, uh, and uh, the morphology. What was uh, the take home message here? Yeah. So I think what we really found very interesting is that this uh, locally recurrent advanced prostate cancers are enriching cribriform morphologies, which included both intraductal carcinoma and cribriform glisten pattern for prostate cancer. As we know that there has been a lot of literature and growing evidence that these morphologies are associated with uh, aggressive clinical outcomes or uh, uh, disease outcome. So that is our number one observation, and this was supported by three separate pieces of data. We had an over-representation of almost 80% of samples demonstrated cribriform morphologies in this particular cohort compared to like 30 to 35%, which is average reported in clinically localized uh, treatment naive prostate cancer from uh, cancer genome at uh, loss, as well as uh, Canadian Cancer Network's uh, radical prostatectomy data sets. So that is number one observation. Number two is we had 16 patients with grade group one prostate cancer uh, at pre-biopsy uh, samples. And of these patients, over 80% had a cribriform morphologies only at the time of radical prostatectomy, as we know that grade group one prostate cancer would not have cribriform morphology. So that also indicates that these morphologies were not present or they were not dominant clone in significant number of these pretreatment biopsy samples. And finally, when we did a tumor focality assessment, uh, we know that clinically localized treatment naive prostate samples typically are multifocal diseases composed of index tumor and then separate smaller tumor nodules. So here in this particular cohort, majority of samples had a unifocal disease. When we had a multifocal disease, cribriform morphologies were usually restricted to the index tumor and smaller tumors had a non-cribriform or, or treatment-related changes that were the findings. So I think these three pieces of data kind of from conclusion from morphological point of view clearly suggest that cribriform morphologies appears to be uh, a hallmark of treatment emergent radio recurrent prostate cancer. And based on this over-representation of these morphologies, 
uh, as well as uh, uh, unifocal nature of these tumor samples at radical prostatectomy, they suggest that they represent resistant tumor clones, which might arise through selective pressure or radiation therapy induced changes. So that is our that is our primary kind of observation in this particular. Uh, okay. Uh, so before we move to the molecular, I want to I want to drill down a little bit on this, and uh, just uh, to because you mentioned and this is an important point not to miss. You're using cribriform morphologies here as an umbrella uh, that you have cribriform not necessarily just in in the usual invasive cancer where we talk about grade uh, pattern four for cribriform, but you're also counting in the presence of intraductal carcinoma that has cribriform morphology. Yes. And uh, we don't have time to talk about that. There are issues about do you grade uh, the invasive or non-invasive uh, equally or not. That's not the point, but it's important to know that this uh, cohort that has radio resistance is showing enrichments for both at the invasive sides and at the IDCP, the introductal side. Absolutely, absolutely. That's an absolutely important point that we are not studying only invasive preform prostate cancer morphology. And as you know that now a lot of European studies have lumped these two. We try to separate them. So in our paper, when you read it, I think we try to separate these two morphologies individually as well. But what we are reporting is a collectively reform morphologies. And from clinical significance point of view, there is a lot of uh, similar significance in these two morphologies. Absolutely. And uh, and still, even if you do that, and uh, and I'm sure the same is uh, comparing to data sets, like you said, historic, which around 30%, here's 80%. That's that's a lot. And and uh, the dominance of, of a, a unifocal disease, that's also a lot. So it all makes sense in terms of uh, the scenario that you're drawing, that these are clones that resisted and, and end up uh, progressing in, in grade uh, into this cribriform pattern. Uh, but uh, there is more to it, right? Uh, by the way, these were clinically locally uh, clinically localized, but but uh, at the salvage time, uh, pathologically did have some with lymph nodes, some with EPE. Uh, yes, absolutely. They were. Uh, I don't have the exact data in uh, sure. kind of uh, my uh, thought process right now, but basically, this was a clinically advanced uh, samples at the time of salvage radical prostatectomies. So that also corresponds to what we know about cribriform morphologies, that they are typically more likely to have lymph node metastasis, extra prostatic tumor extension. And we like total, I believe, 70, more than 70% of samples had some form of extra prostatic disease Correct. in this more cohort. And that's another another point on the aggressiveness of this pattern. And it sounds yeah. like, uh, regardless if it's introductal or not, we'll, we'll see that that will need more deciphering. But uh, let's let's move on to the molecular. And on the molecular side, uh, there are really uh, some uh, potentially uh, very helpful uh, findings, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think I mean a very important uh, point that I would like to mention is that I think there were several. Uh, genomic alterations with potential clinical significance and several clinical uh, genomic associations which are known to be associated with advanced and metastatic prostate cancer. So these samples had a higher somatic tumor mutation events 
uh, in these samples. Particularly notable uh, mutation was uh, uh, one or more genes which are involved in DNA damage and repair pathway, what we typically refer to as a DDR genes, were altered in 70% of these samples. So that is number one important finding, which includes BRCA1 and 2, PALB2, BARD1, ATR, and several other uh, 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 DNA damage and repair genes that are involved in this pathway. So that is a very important finding. We also observed uh, higher frequency of P10 loss, which is not surprising because cribriform mm -hmm. uh, morphologies has shown to have higher uh, uh, enrichment for P10 loss and P10 alterations. So over 50% of these samples had P10 loss in some form. Uh, and that is also uh, of importance because P10 loss is associated with lethal prostate cancer progression, particularly in uh, non-rearranged cases based on some of this uh, latest data. So, and I, I think uh, more important this is that we have now targets uh, for these particular uh, genomic alterations. Deleterious mutations in DDR genes have shown to have a higher response for PARP inhibitors uh, with uh, survival advantage for patients with metastatic castration resistant prostate cancers. So that is a uh, very, very important finding. TP53 mutations, which is also one form of DDR gene, who would predict uh, resistance to uh, a newer generation of androgen receptor blocker treatments such as enzalutumab and abiraterone. So these are some of the important findings. We also had some other uh, less frequently encountered genomic alterations like prim 2 BRAF. Uh, then there was also KMT2D. PIK3CA, they all have some form of targets that are potentially can be uh, used for uh, this type of samples and findings. So uh, really a treasure trove of findings and you couldn't ask for uh, for uh, more. Uh, you, you had pre pretty much predictive markers and genes that would predict response and uh, and they can be targeted. And in addition to you know the story about the cribriform morphology and 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 the way the tumor is uh, unifocal and the absence of that pre radiation, uh, you have a story to tell now potentially on the progression under uh, radiation and selective pressure. So, uh, and it's important to tell uh, the audience uh, whenever you look at a specimen post radiation, you're trying to evaluate whether these uh, have the radiation effect or not. And and I think. It goes without saying that's why we didn't hammer on it. having a curved form morphology. All that uh, these tumors did not show uh, radiation uh, effect, at least in these right. uh, index lesions. Correct. That that's a very important point, and I would like to emphasize that we had some samples which primarily showed treatment effect. We did not analyze those samples because those samples, in my point of view, they are not relevant for uh, what we were trying to study. And I think we know that. Uh, Cancer that are recurrent without treatment morphologies are usually associated with more uh, aggressive outcomes. So our study primarily focused on cancer samples without any treatment effect. And I think, as you said, that cribriform morphology would indicate that there was no treatment response to this uh, particular 
Thank you. Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you this uh, for this informative discussion, and and thank you for doing such a study, which uh, will uh, definitely uh, move the needle because these are tough patients to treat. Uh, salvage yeah. is kind of like the last resort, and now knowing that uh, potentially there are targeted uh, therapy with some predictive genes uh, to response right. uh, that would be very helpful for these patients. As usual, Rajal, it's uh, is always a pleasure uh, to see you and, uh, and meet with you. And thank you again for taking the time and, uh, and doing this podcast for us. Thank you very much, George, for this invitation. Very much appreciate this opportunity. and looking forward to uh, seeing you and uh, connecting with you again. Sure. And we look forward for your next publication in Modern Path. Sounds good. No doubt about it. It's the best journal. So you might as well try Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I have to put a plug in for this. Thank I'm proud you. of uh, I'm proud of the success uh, of the journal. Thank you. It's, it's because of people it like you. It is a wonderful reflection of what the, where the pathology is going. Thank you very much. We try, and we're we're lucky to have authors like you uh, publish with us. Thank you. So long, everyone. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.